The Catholics of Oz is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to episode 107 of The Catholics of Oz. The Catholics of Oz is a show where we discuss faith, culture, and what's been happening from an Aussie perspective. Whether it's synods or science, apostolate synapse, providence or productivity, you can hear it right now on The Catholics of Oz. Hello, I'm Lindsay Sands and welcome to episode 107 of The Catholics of Oz. So good to have you with us. I am joined today by my good friend and just totally Lino again. We'll talk about why in a minute. Yeah. <laughs> How are you today, Lino? I'm good, Lindsay. I'm good. It's just us. Good morning, everyone. Oh, well, it depends on where you are from the world. Sorry, yeah, for us in Australia, it's good morning. morning. evening. Yeah. Um, afternoon. Evening, night, afternoon. Mid- mid-morning. Yes, yes. Mid-morning, yeah, exactly. I don't know what time it is in Malta or in the Philippines, but I think, yeah, okay. So, yeah, it's... um. At the moment, uh, yeah, it's another dreary and rare. Happy winter. It's... <laughs> Uh, yeah, we uh, we are still in spring. Yes, uh, but but uh, the Wednesday went by. Oh my goodness me! It was like twenty five, twenty six, and it was yeah. very nice. Yeah, I was good prepared, and as as usual in Melbourne here, we keep on saying that. Um, yeah, yeah, you you wear shorts one day, and you're rugged up and wearing another jacket or. Ski gear, almost the next day. If you're smart, you should, fun, be wearing, times. you should be wearing shorts mm. under your trousers to be prepared for the whole. Yeah, just say. Spring is the only time of the year where it can be wintry like this, but you can feel like you have full blown hay fever, like I feel right now. <laughs> oh, news, yeah. man. Yeah, it's it's, it's, it's horrible. Yeah, it's going around, man. The pollen's going. Whoo, really. yeah. But besides that, we're doing well. We're yes. doing well here. Now, Caroline had intended to join us today. Sadly, she can't join us again. She's very um, upset about it too. But she had a minor car accident. She's fine. Everyone in her family is fine. Oh, yeah. But oh, she's no. dealing with that. She, yep. Yeah. So she'll tell us more about it when she comes back. So definitely, we definitely. will bravely navigate the site segment later on. We've got an interesting topic which we'll talk about later. Yeah. We will boldly go where no two... Down, uh, where no people who know nothing about science have tried to go before, yeah. <laughs> the music. We'll try our yeah. best. Yeah, we'll try our, we'll try our best. We'll try our best. <laughs> All right. Before we continue, if you're new to listening to the Catholics of Oz, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, or your favorite podcast player. Don't forget to give us a five-star rating and some positive feedback in your favorite podcast player because uh, that way we hear from you and we get to reach new people, which is what we are all about. SQPN also hosts the Catholics of Oz on YouTube. You can subscribe to SQPN there. And don't forget to hit the bell to get notifications when new episodes are released. All right, so let's begin with Faith Beyond Borders. Oh, I'm actually feeling rather good about this. I think we've all arrived at a very special place, eh? Spiritually, ecumenically. How do you make somebody love you without affecting free will? Welcome to my world, son. You come up with an answer to that one, you let me know. Yes, I had to work very hard to pass Latin and theology. Oh, quite. Those are, of course, the most important things. Oh, yeah. I'd sit this one out, Cap. I don't see how I can. These guys come from legend. They're basically gods. 
There's only one God, man. And I'm pretty sure he doesn't dress like that. Lido, this topic is, it's a sequel. Ooh, all right. Okay. Basically, eight years ago, Pope Francis released a papal encyclical. An encyclical is a letter to the church and can be to the world as well. And this letter was called Laudato Si, which was about the environment. Yes, it was about okay, the environment. Yep. our place in the environment. He talked about the integral mm. ecology and, and, and things like that. And, and our care for our common home. This planet, it's our only home right now. And because it's our common home with all common, the, the entire world community. So we all share it together. This letter that he's released now, or it's not actually, sorry, I correct myself. It's not a letter. This one is an exhortation, which is a little bit lower than an encyclical. Like all the, in the church, all of its letters are ranked in terms of authority, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah. okay. Then. So this okay, one's yep, a, yep, yeah, yep. a bit lower than encyclical. It's an, but it's an exhortation. So when you exhort, you call to action, you call people to wake up. Start doing something. Go. Oh, get onto it. Cool. All right. So he's exhorting cool, cool. the church, but also the world and all people of goodwill to step up and to be uh, more conscious of our environment and our place in it. So sometimes when a person hears this is about the environment and especially about the topic of climate change, maybe the first inclination a person might have is to switch off. Nah, boring. I don't need to know oh. about that. I don't need to know about okay. that. I got more important things. Uh, sometimes, right? No, no criticism. Yeah, like sometimes. Yeah. You know, However, yeah. the one thing I think that should compel people to either read this letter or to read a summary of it somewhere, a good summary, a good reliable summary that doesn't have any bias towards a side. I don't like using language like that. But mm-hmm. one motivation I think is we're talking about the planet that we live on. We're talking about the fact that anything that we do as individuals in the choices that we make that have to do with effects on the planet can have effects on other people in other parts of the world. For example, buying a product that is produced by slave labor, by child labor, by people who are working for, so below the poverty line, they're getting paid less than $2 a day or whatever it might be to do what they do. We know that this is a real thing. It does happen in parts of the world. And we know that more and more organizations are becoming conscious of this now. However, we still, for example, the choices of what we decide to consume as consumers does affect other people in our world. The choice of where a particular product, where the where the materials are dug up from the ground for that product yeah, yeah. has yep. an impact yep. on the local environment in that area, including yes. the biodiversity yeah. of that area, which is very important to our existence, let alone the existence of animals and so on as well. So biodiversity is really important. So this exhortation is really a call to action. The thrust is on climate change. However, there is no argument against, in the church, against the idea that we are all stewards of God's earth. God is the owner of this planet and God has given us the dominion over it and he expects that we look after it. Mm, The earth is, it's beautiful. And its beauty is a reflection of the beauty of God in yeah. reality. One way that we see mm. the fingerprints of God is by living in creation, looking out the window and seeing our, our beautiful environment. So mm. when we damage that environment in a way that is careless or reckless, we are actually not being good stewards of the earth. That's why I think people, especially Catholics, but anyone really, because it's written to everyone, but Catholics as well, should read it, weigh it on its merits. You don't have to agree with everything that's in there. But in terms of a theology of your place in the world, 
as a child of God in the world that God has created for all of us to live in and to look after, I think it's important to read for that. To read it or to read a summary. How's that sound? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah that's great, man. Yeah, it yeah. totally makes sense. Yeah. All right. This letter, it's six chapters long. And there is no way that I'm going to get through summarizing all six chapters. <laughs> so what I thought I'd do... I think do, these are always big, big, big chapters. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Come on, just, why, why don't you write something that's a page? Come on, <laughs> help me out. Help me out. Do yeah. a solid He's got a lot to do. Yeah. And like you said, look, yeah. um, we won't be t- chatting. You know, all six <laughs> chapters will be here for an hour. It'll be a big, big trouble. Yeah, so four hours. Exactly. Yeah. <clears throat> um, that's right, exactly. Yeah, we'll be and, looking um, for another network. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but look, it's yeah. understandable. Here's who was to put out the importance of looking after our planet and it's great and he's not the first one other popes have talked mm, about the importance mm. of the earth and god's creation and so on so it, this is a right. he's following a tradition yeah. he's just going further with what with addressing the particular things that are going on right now mm. is laudato c going back to the the first letter in this in on this topic that, so encyclicals have been written by popes through the ages for different reasons, but there are a particular set of encyclicals that are called social encyclicals and they address issues to do with social justice, with fairness. Social justice, yeah. They might address poverty or employment or or Mm. whatever the particular Mm. topic might be of the time. So in this case, it's, it's talking about, about the environment and particularly, as I mentioned before, about climate change and human beings' contribution to that climate change, which is where the, the difficulty is. So I'm just going to go through a couple of things from it. As I mentioned, he's reflecting eight years later after the publication of Laudato Si, and what he's asking us to do now is to be more concerned with the condition of our planet and to be part of the action to help solve it. Now, he addresses us, but he's also discussing past conferences that have been around to make promises of what they'll do to mitigate emissions that, that contribute to um, climate change. And he's, he talks about the COP28 conference, which is coming up later this year. And, and he's basically addressing them and saying, here are some actions I'd like you to take. The parts I'd like to focus on, though, the science which is risky because me talking about science and <laughs> I should put this in the science segment for today, but anyway, yeah, I'm um, actually Caroline. Has <laughs> oh, well, done a, yes. yeah, yeah. Caroline has done a science of climate change in a previous episode as well. The, yeah, um, the yeah. 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 So if you want a fuller explanation, Caroline's done that already. So this exhortation, it begins with the science. It goes into talking about what's called the technocratic pa- paradigm, which I'll talk a little about a little bit later on. As I said, it calls people to action. It calls governments to action to do more, to not be so complacent about it. And the other section, which I'm really interested in, is the spiritual motivations that he talks about as well. So it does a bit of a theology at the very end, which, which I'm going to focus heavily on. So if you'd like to read the sections that I won't be covering today, you're welcome to look those up in our show notes. Or you can also look up a summary if you'd like to. There's been lots written about it already. So his exhortation shares his concern that the world community hasn't done enough to address climate change. And yeah, the goal, which I think was set by the Paris agreements, which are legally binding agreements, but by the countries who signed them, is to stop the average temperature from rising by one and a half degrees over pre-industrial levels. He says mm, that this, okay. yeah, he says that this is more pressing than ever. It does need more attention. Yeah. So he relies on, and he actually references, you'll see it in, in the footnotes as well, he relies on the science from the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, which or the IPCC, and he also quotes other scientific bodies as well. And he also addresses the arguments that people might say that we don't need to do anything about climate change or that we don't need to reduce our reliance on fossil fuels. So, for example, he says that some people might say, yes, if we reduce our use of fossil fuels, 
we're also reducing jobs are going to be lost. And that there's some truth to that, right? If we would have to be very careful about how we transition from one form of energy to another because to another, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, yep. There's no mm, point mm. in, in helping the planet if we're creating poverty everywhere, right? We, we don't want to do that. That's okay. where the cure right. is worse than the disease. He mm. says that, however, we do need to pay attention to fossil fuel use because if the science of climate change is correct, and he believes it is, it will accelerate over time, rising sea levels, mm. droughts, severe weather mm-hmm. patterns, all the other effects of climate change. This could lead to the change in habitats for animals, and uh, there are animals that are our food source, and if we're killing them off. We're actually causing problems that are worse than just job losses for people. But he says that the solution to this is a carefully managed transition to renewable forms of energy, because renewable energy can also create other jobs as well. It can generate other work in different sectors. But what he's saying is that politicians and business leaders need to make this their priority so that they can manage a fair and safe transition that doesn't affect people's jobs and their ability to feed their families. Mm. But also at the same time, it looks after our planet. So he's trying to be fair and reasonable with this as well. He also includes some of the science and, and the basis is this, basically that greenhouse gases, which cause global warming, releasing carbon dioxide into the atmosphere, these, these emissions were stable in the 19th century at about 300 parts per million. But this began to increase, obviously, with the Industrial Revolution, which is you know, fair enough. He's about to say, yeah, yeah mm. this is going to happen. Mm. And he, he talked about the Moana Loa Observatory, which has been taking measurements every day of carbon in the atmosphere since 1958. And currently, at the time of writing Laudato C eight years ago, it was at 400 parts per million. So we've gone from 300 to 400. And yeah. Yeah, when this exhortation eight years later, we're now sitting at 423 parts per million. June 2023, oh, I should say. June this year. Yeah. Okay, okay. So this is a 42% increase of emissions over pre-industrial levels. And, and he says that the global average temperature, which is also rising is correlated mm. with the rise of these emissions. Greenhouse mm. gases, mm. they're in the atmosphere. As if the sun, solar radiation heats, is, it comes to the earth from the sun, we need it. Some of it, it comes into the earth, it leaves the earth. I'm very bad at explaining this, but some of it doesn't leave because the, it gets trapped, the heat gets trapped in, into the atmosphere by the carbon emissions and therefore increases the warming of our planet slowly over time. Now, I've done my best to explain the science. I'm not a scientist. Uh, however, you can Google it, people. All right, Google it. <laughs> Bing chat it. Yeah, get some AI to explain it. Now, he acknowledges there are different worldviews on this. There are different people have different opinions about climate change. And we obviously don't intend to get political about it. And honestly, it shouldn't be political. It should be a rational discussion. Mm. If you're a Catholic, mm. we're people of faith and reason. So we're not subscribing to conspiracies. We're not subscribing to anti this person, anti that person, or it's a global agenda or whatever it might be, throw all of that out the window because that doesn't help anyone. What does help is having a rational discussion and everyone being open-minded about what the science may or may not be telling us. So Pope Francis Mm, has mm. come to the conclusion that the human contributions to climate change are making things worse. He uses the science that I just talked about before. There's more science, but I'm just not going to go into it because again, I'm not a scientist. I'll probably get it wrong, but we can do more work on that. If you, if people want to do some definitely. research online, it's yeah, enough to do. Yeah, definitely. NASA has been doing measurements on this. You can look at the NASA website and find out more about it. There are lots of reputable science organizations who are contributing to the research on climate change. So I'd like to shift a little bit and move to what 
Pope Francis says as what he sees as one of the sources of the problems, but also gives a theology about what the right's Christian attitude towards the earth is. The human problem, he has a term which he calls the technocratic paradigm. And the first time I read this eight years ago, and even now I have to get my head around what this term means, but essentially it means this. It's a worldview that Pope Francis describes as relying on the domination and manipulation of nature and of human beings through science and technology without caring for the ethical considerations of doing this. So we, there is much science and much technology, which is all great, but instead of using it for the good of the earth, we use it for the domination and manipulation of the earth, but also for the domination and manipulation of people as well. And what he's saying is that attitude is the wrong way to be human, to think that we are all about dominating and manipulating and using things as we want to without caring about the repercussions. That is the wrong attitude. And I think if we believe in the dignity of the human person, which our Catholic social teaching tells us we should, which goes all the way back to being made in God's image and likeness, then there's nothing to disagree with in terms of the idea that waste is wrong, that the ethical mistreatment of humans through the use of technology and so on is wrong. There's nothing to disagree with that. So what he says is that if we allow a technocratic paradigm to be the way that we view the world, if that's what we decide is the way that we're going to exist, a loss of meaning in life, that we have the wrong understanding of what life means from there. He says it leads to a culture of waste where it's okay to waste, don't worry about it. There's no need to be sustainable, waste, throw things out, whatever. And also the worst thing is global indifference to suffering. They're over there, I'm over here, that's not my problem, I don't care. And indifference is awful, all right? Indifference, I dare to push a a line here and say that indifference can be sinful as well, to not care about. And look, Matthew 25, right? Lord, where did I see you naked? Where did I see you thirsty? Where did I see you in prison? And he says, when you, when you, you helped the least of these, you did it to me. Jesus already said it. I'm not saying anything that contradicts what he's saying. He also mm-hmm. pushed out that indifference. It either makes you, you can be a sheep or a goat, right? A sheep is not indifferent. Mm. A goat, right? A bit more indifferent. <laughs> not so great, mm. right? And really, mm. it's not to say, to create, believe Jesus ever tried to create an us and them, a this human versus that human but definitely to provoke us into being our better selves. And our better selves is our openness to being fully formed by God, to following the lead of the Holy Spirit, to obviously to build our relationship with God and the ongoing effects of that relationship with God, which is to have a conscience, to care about the rest of society, to care about our brothers and sisters, to not question God and say, am I my brother's keeper? Things like that. To be more like, say, the Good Samaritan. This Jew who's lying on the side of the road is my enemy and I'm supposed to hate him, but he's a human being that God loves. I love him too. I'm going to do what's right by him and help him out. Yeah. So that's where this, that's why Pope Francis challenges indifference in a very strong way. He's very, this indifference is a killer and it comes out of, again, he says this technocratic paradigm where it's okay to waste. It's okay to waste people. It's okay to use the earth as we want to. And use technology as part of that wasteful thing as well. It's it's very Lord of the Rings, right? The Ents, the trees, the way that, the way that you know, yeah, the way that, well, that Saruman is destroying the forest to create an army, right? Yeah, Using yeah. the gifts of the earth for destruction rather than good. There you go. So for all Lord of the Rings nerds out there, Lord of the Rings. Shout out to you. Yeah. Shout out to you. There you go. <laughs> Lino and I are also fans of Lord of the Rings. 
Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. It has a lot of um, connections to actually what was going on on Earth. And even though it's a fantasy story, Tolkien had a lot of um, hidden um, messages. Yeah, Christian messaging. Or, yeah, yeah. Christian yeah. messaging and sort of messages in, within his um, yeah. books. So it made sense. Yeah. It made sense. But, Absolutely. Um, I know I'm moving away from this, <laughs> but I think the whole thing about that was just being together, working together. You know, that was great about the books and also what, what we do need to do in the world. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And what does the fellowship do? They suffer for what's right. They work together, yes, they're correct. broken apart, but they don't give up on, on sticking to doing what's right. You know, they're, they're, they're no indifference. They all see their better selves and that, yeah. And the world yeah, is better exactly, because of it. Exactly. There you go. Yes, yeah, Shout it, out to Tolkien. There we go. <laughs> so Pope Francis's solution to the technocratic paradigm is a phrase that he mm. used in Laudato Si that he comes back to again, and it's called the integral op- ecology. We need to view ourselves as part of an integral ecology. What this essentially yeah, means mm. is to is this, is to remember that we are natural beings who are part of nature, the part of this, the nature of this planet. We're not se- set apart from it. We're not separate from it. Like there's nature and there's humans, like we're aliens from another planet. We are embedded in nature. And in fact, we rely on nature for our survival, don't we? We eat the fruit, the animals, the things that are produced by the earth. We breathe the air that's produced. We are part of this ecosystem. And God made it that way. Go to Genesis, yeah. the Genesis creation story. Yes, so it's, one two. it's all there. All right. Yes, yes. God so did this, saw that it was yeah. good. God did this, saw that it was good. Uh-huh. God made humans and saw that they were very good. And I've talked in a previous episode about Tov yes. and Tov Mayod, mm, right? Mm. So Tov meaning it was good. It was good at doing what it was made to do. But then when human beings, is, when he says very good, the, the ancient words are Tov Mayod, they are the best at doing what God made them to do, right? The pinnacle of creation mm. and then makes us stewards mm-hmm. of creation as well. So we are, so integral mm-hmm. ecology, we are very much a part of uh, what happens here and what happens here is is linked to what will happen to us eventually as well. Um, yes, so we're not exactly, separate yeah. from nature. Yeah, we are, we're part of it. A, a couple of thoughts before I finish up about what Pope Francis says in the spiritual dimension of this. So this is teaching for Christians here. He says, the Bible tells us that God saw that everything he made was indeed good. That was Genesis 131. And that his, this is from Deuteronomy, his is the earth and all that is with it, within it. So he made it good and it belongs to him. That's the first thing. And he says, for this reason, he tells us the land shall not be, and this is from Leviticus 25, the land shall not be sold in perpetuity for the land is mine. With me, you are but aliens and tenants. All right. So what he's saying here is that you can sell parts of the earth to people, but you can't sell it like you own it forever. Because at the end Mm. of the day, God is saying Mm. it's mine. All right. That's essentially what he's saying. Mm -hmm. I made it and I've put you into it. I've made you part of it. And, and so therefore, and Pope Francis's uh, teaching is, therefore, responsibility for God's earth means that human beings endowed with intelligence must respect the laws of nature and the delicate equilibria existing between the creatures of this world. So what he's saying is that we need to maintain the world as God made it. We need to support that. The technocratic paradigm is a killer of that. It's the anti God attitude, anti-God's plan for the world's attitude, right? The anti-nature, because he says it isolates us from the world, it surrounds us, and it deceives us, and it makes us forget, and he calls it, he says that the world, the entire world is a contact zone, or the idea that, that our lives are all integrated together, that we're a human family. And in fact, you're another encyclical, Fratelli Tutti, right? Which is all about why we are all brothers and sisters. So, 
moving on, he goes on to say, the Judeo-Christian vision of the cosmos defends the unique and central value of us, the human being, amid the marvelous concert of all of God's creatures. But today we see ourselves forced to realize that it is only possible to sustain a situated anthropocentrism, to recognize, in other words, that human life is incomprehensible and unsustainable without other creatures. So I talked about biodiversity before. As part of the universe, all of us are linked by unseen bonds and together form a kind of universal family, a sublime communion which fills us with a sacred, affectionate, and humble respect. I think those words explain themselves. We are all linked together. We are linked with nature. We are linked with even the creatures. We do have a love for creatures of the planet, don't we? Like you've got two cats. My dog is sleeping on my lap right now while I podcast. We are not enemies of nature. We are part of it. There are probably some creatures that you don't want. Australia is a good example of that. Don't don't pat a cassowary. Don't don't go near a brown snake. Don't (laughs) watch out for them dropping. Actually, they can be. You don't want to go near an angry one. Wombats are cute, but but you don't want to go near an angry wild wombat. Alpha kangaroos. I think we'll be very upset. That's... That's basically yeah. it. Don't upset the, as Pope Francis said, the equilibrium of nature, right? It's there mm-hmm. for a reason. Mm-hmm. It supports, and, mm-hmm. and it supports mm-hmm. us as well. So, okay. yeah. So he calls everyone to accompany this pilgrimage of reconciliation with the world that is our home and to make it, help make it more beautiful. He says, because that commitment has to do with our personal dignity and highest values. At the same time, I cannot deny that it is necessary to be honest and recognize that the most effective solutions will not come from individual efforts alone, but from major political decisions on the national and international level. So he says all of us have a responsibility to have an attitude of integral ecology. That's how we look at the world. He says, but he knows that individuals aren't going to be the ones to completely change everything. We're part of the solution, but we're not the only part of it. There's also Mm. the political side of things, politicians, our governments, and also businesses, and the agreements between governments around the world as well. Yeah, so all of that is important. He says, so it does help, every little bit helps, that's you and me, to avoid an increase of a tenth of a degree in the global temperature of the world, to alleviate the suffering of other people as well. He says, what's important is something less quantitative. The need to realize that there are no lasting changes without cultural change, without maturing of our lifestyles and convictions within society, and that there are no cultural changes without personal change, individual change. So he says, we can state that a broad change in the irresponsible lifestyle connected with the Western model would have a significant long-term impact. As a result, along with indispensable political decisions, we would be making progress along the way with genuine care for one another. So what he's saying is that the Western world, obviously there are lifestyles of individuals within the Western world which are not necessarily good for the planet, and some that are irresponsible. Fair enough, all right? Now, does that mean only the Western world? No, but more prevalence, obviously because there is more wealth in the Western world and therefore the temptation for waste and the technocratic paradigm is stronger, all right? So we look at it through that lens. And he's saying if more people in the Western world can get onto this integral ecology as their attitude, then we will care more for the earth. We'll be less wasteful. We will care more about our brothers and sisters and we will do what we can to make the earth sustainable for them and also for the generation to come. Our children's children, the cliche, right? So looking after the planet for so that it's sustainable for the next generation as well. So that's what he's going for there. Now, as a side note, he mentions the United States and compares it to China in terms of emissions per person or whatever else. 
And some people have got a little bit upset about that. All right. Ah, here he goes. He doesn't like the United States or whatever else. I put it to you. That's the wrong reading. All right. That is the wrong reading. Having a whack at the United States is not what Pope Francis is doing. He's just saying that's, again, the Western world. And you know what? The the United States is a model for Western society. All right. We know, right? We're Australians, but we know that what happens in the United States affects our country. We can talk about it, right? So American, we get American TV shows. That's what we generally talk about. How often do we talk about Australian TV shows? Not as often. There was Utopia. We don't talk about as often. We talk about American television. I know. We talk about a lot of American shows. We don't live in America, yeah, yeah. but we talk about no, we American don't. politics. We exactly. Don't. Yeah, Guys, we know who Donald Trump is. <laughs> yeah. We know who Joe Biden is, all right? <laughs> yeah. Honestly, now, again, I, not that I care <laughs> that it affects my life, but I know I can't avoid it. I'll put on the, exactly. I'll put on the 6 o'clock news, and I'll know that mm, the mm. American House of Representatives is currently trying to find another speaker. I know. <laughs> that has nothing to do with my life, people, but I know it. You know what I mean? What I'm trying to say yes. though, is that the way I read this is Pope Francis knows that America is a model for the Western world and that mm-hmm. usually the way America goes, the West tends to follow. Not always. Yeah. Not always. No, 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 no. Yeah. And, and we can see that here in Australia. And I'm not necessarily yes, saying yeah, it's a bad yeah. thing, right? I'm not. I'm not anti-American. Love you, all right? You guys, yeah. You guys, Star Wars came from you, right? So yeah, good. good <laughs> You've made your contribution to the world, guys. Yeah, but, but the United States, it it has shown great leadership in many areas. It's shown poor leadership in other areas, right? That's yeah. yeah every yeah, country, yeah, every culture yeah. does this. Every country has yeah. done it. Yes, yes, uh, yes. He's calling all of us integral ecology to look at our worlds in a particular way and he's calling on the united states because the united states happens to be again if it goes one particular way the rest of the world is likely to follow that way as well so if if it adopted an integral ecology as a cultural way of behaving there would be less indifference in the world there would be less waste in the world there would be less irresponsible usage of other people in the world and and so i think that's probably a good thing for him to say so, so yes, you could read it and go, oh, he doesn't Americans. He doesn't like us. Typical Pope Francis, whatever. But I urge people not to look at it that way. I really don't think that's what he's getting at. What does he benefit by alienating the church, right? He's calling on all people to be better. Everyone around the world, right? He starts with the West. That doesn't mean he's not addressing anyone who's not part of the Western world because it's a human family project to keep this planet beautiful, to be stewards of the earth as we're called to be and to be less wasteful. So he finishes by saying, praise God is the title of this letter. For when human beings claim to take God's place, they become their own worst enemies. And I think that's, that makes perfect sense. The story of Adam and Eve, right? If you eat the apple, you'll be like God. You'll have the knowledge of blah, 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 all that. So what, so, and so really sometimes people are like, what was the sin of Adam and Eve? And even though the story is, is allegorical, the sin of Adam and Eve is saying, we don't need God. We can do it on our own. We can do it on our own. We don't need God. The technocratic paradigm says, I don't need God. I can do it on my own. I got this. I can do it on my own. The integral ecology says, God, you made this beautiful planet. You put me into it. It is a sign of your wonder. And as a faithful steward of this planet and of you, I'm going to do my best to keep it beautiful for myself and also for the sake of my brothers and sisters who are here now and my brothers and sisters in the next generation as well. 
There you go. That's it. Yeah. Any thoughts Ooh. on that, Lino? Yeah. Oh, definitely a lot of thoughts about that because, um, you know, we need to look after our planet. And I think we've talked about it even with our space news, you know, we look after our planet here. And then when we, it's time for us to, um, I can't find a different word than colonize, um, <laughs> to explore. Yeah. To explore other planets and, and do ways. the yeah. same. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and do, and do the same. If we start living on other planets, do the same with that planet as well. You know, if we find another habitable planet, look after it as God has asked us to do. And led us to do, you know. And for now, for our, for our Earth now, people who are um, doubtful or skeptical about climate change, look at the weather now. Look at the weather now, listeners and everyone. Yeah. Even Lindsay and I, we've been talking about this morning when we before we do our podcast. Like, this is not the winter we've had. Yeah. Spring has the been seasons have changed. We're, we're expecting exactly the hottest global heat wave. You know, the hottest the hot summer global heat wave coming in in the northern hemisphere. Exactly. It's coming here. We will expect it to be very soonish. We've already felt the effects of that as well. Well, yes, yes. The, they say yeah. that, that one of the worst effects on Australia in particular of climate change would be bushfires, which we've seen the devastating effects of already. Yeah, Everyone exactly. knows the phrase Black Saturday bushfires, Ash Wednesday bushfires, that these are yes. embedded. It doesn't matter if you experience them or not, they are embedded it's into the national not, they've been embedded like into yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Now, I'm not saying that those are caused by climate change. And in fact, Pope Francis says we can't simply say every calamity, natural calamity is caused mm. by climate change, but he said, certainly we'll see more. Certainly more, there is more. Yeah, if we're not careful as well. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So with that in mind, let's move from science and talk about science. <laughs> ah, what a fine day for science. You have any hobbies? I collect spores, molds, and fungus. Can you reverse the polarity? I'll do my best. Yeah, now we're gonna we're gonna shift gears a little bit. Caroline sent she yeah she was gonna do this one. This is a fun little one, isn't it? Let's talk about this. Okay, yeah, yeah. Cool, we've cool, talked cool, about cool, Romans right. before. Now we're good talking about Romans again. Last time we were a big topic about Romans. <laughs> I don't know if you heard about this before. There's this thing that's been going around about you. Know, how often do you think about the Roman Empire? Apparently yeah. on this podcast quite often. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> At least a couple of episodes a year, right? Yeah. All right, I give in. I'm thinking about the Roman Empire right now. <laughs> the topic for this one, and I'd like to encourage people to read this article because it's fascinating and mm. there are some links that go mm. even further. Definitely. It says, mm. AI reads text from ancient Herculaneum scroll for the first time. Machine learning technique reveals Greek words in CT scan of rolled up papyrus. Now, this was a project to try and read ancient writing on scrolls that were and charred and so on from a city called Herculaneum, which was also destroyed by the, the eruption of Mount Vesuvius in AD 79. I hope I got the date oh, right. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow, that was a big eruption. I thought it was yeah. Pompeii. Pompeii oh. is the prominent one that we know of. But Herculaneum is another city that was affected by this. So they've got these scrolls that are burnt and charred and you can't open them if you open them. I know, I was about to say, just fragments, yeah. yeah. So they're saying, can can we read them? So here's what happened. A 21-year-old computer science student won a global context to read the first text inside a carbonized scroll from the Roman city of Herculaneum. 
which had been unreadable since a volcanic eruption in AD 79, the same one that buried Pompeii. The breakthrough could open hundreds of texts from, from the only intact library to survive from this from Greco-Roman antiquity. So the person was Luke Ferreter from the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. He developed machine learning algorithms that detected Greek letters on several lines of the rolled up papyrus and included mm. the letters which made the word porphyrus, yeah, which means yeah, purple. purple. Yep. Okay, yep. the yep. word purple. I'll say more about that later. He used subtle small-scale differences in surface te- texture to train his neural network to highlight the ink. This sounds a bit like wow. metadata, right? <laughs> yeah, that was saying, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> wow. So he says, when I first saw the first image, I was shocked. All right. And this is, oh, sorry, this wasn't him. This was now Fred Federica Nicolati, who's a paperologist in the University of Naples in Italy and who saw Ferret's findings about this. She said, it was such a dream. Now I can actually see something from inside of a scroll. There were wow. hundreds of scrolls, yeah, that were buried by Mount Vesuvius on the, in 1879. Mm. The eruption left Herculaneum under 20 meters of volcanic ash. Early attempts wow. to open the, yeah, the papery created a mess of fragments. Scholars feared that the remains could never be unrolled or read. These are such crazy objects, she said. They're all crumpled and crushed. So they started the Vesuvius Challenge, it's called. All right. Okay. Yeah. Four scrolls, one AI, two competitors, <laughs> yeah. only one will come out on top. <laughs> Who will win the Vesuvius Challenge? Dun, 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 dun. Yeah. 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 No, it's a bit more nerdy than that, sorry. But the Vesuvius well, yeah, Challenge. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, but it, it's, it is an unbelievable, um, oh, well, machines have been used. Oh, wow. They offered a series of rewards which leads to the main prize of 700,000 US dollars, which is over, which should be close to... Oh, yes, please. Yeah, <laughs> and this is for... So the $700,000 will be for reading four or more passages from a rolled-up scroll. Mm. On October wow, 12th, okay. the day after my wife's birthday, I have to mention, the organizers, <laughs> they announced that Farriter won the first letters prize of $40,000 because he was able to use AI to read more than 10 characters in a four-square-centimeter area of papyrus. Now, Yusuf Nader, yeah, a graduate student Yusuf. at Free yep. University of Berlin, he won $10,000 for coming second, which is a decent prize. The $10,000 US dollars mm. will do pretty well, so it's pretty good. To see the letters is extremely exciting, says Thea Summershield, a historian of the ancient Greek and Rome at the Kafukari oh, University in Venice in Italy. The scrolls were discovered in the 18th century when workmen came across the remains of a luxury villa that might have belonged to the family of Julius Caesar's father in, in law. So his father in law, sorry. Yeah. Oh, Jesus, yeah, father in law place. Yep. Wow. Hail Caesar's father in law. Deciphering oh, no. <laughs> the papyri, Summer Shield says it could revolutionize our knowledge of ancient history and literature. Mm. More mm. classical texts known today are the results of repeated copying by scribes over centuries, but now we yeah, have possible originals instead. So it's very exciting for them to possibly be able to decipher and read things that have come directly from the authors. So no, no secondhand sources. This could be firsthand sources that being able to translate. Like the first one, like, a, like an original printing. Oh, well, not printing, but I mean, as you do, I mean, first yeah. writing. The first way was to copy wow. scrolls, right? If you wanted to make a copy it. Exactly. No, no photocopying. Yeah. yeah. So it says, until now, researchers were able to study only the open fragments. A few Latin works have been identified. Most of these contain Greek texts relating to their Epicurean school of philosophy. There are parts of On Nature by Epicurus himself. There's also works by a little-known philosopher named Philodemus, 
on topics such as vices, music, rhetoric, and death, which sounds like oh, wow. Sunday afternoon reading. <laughs> so what are you reading today? <laughs> That's my bag, baby. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. All right. But some philosophies on those. It's been suggested mm, that this well, library wow. might have been his working collection as well. But more than okay, 600 okay. scrolls, mostly held in wow. the National Library in Naples with a handful in the United Kingdom and France, remain intact and unopened. And more could still be found in the lower floors of the villa, which have yet to be excavated. Oh, yeah, this is his father-in-law's place. Yeah, no, that's right. Me. Wow. Yep. Seals and his team, which I like to call his SEALs team, but anyway, oh. spent years. You're welcome. You're welcome. Yep. Yep. Find that scroll. Yeah. Yep. They spent years developing methods to virtually unwrap the vanishing thin layers using CT scans. Mm, CT scans. Mm. And to visualize them as a series of flat images. In 2016, yes. he yeah. reported using the technique to read a child scroll from En Gedi in Israel. I've been there, by the way. I just want to say that. Revealing, <laughs> yeah. actually been there. All right. Revealing sections of the book of Leviticus. Part of the Jewish Torah, oh, wow. the Old Testament. So there you go, even the Bible. And these, this was written in the 3rd or 4th century AD, this particular scroll mm-hmm. that they were, they were unrolling. But the ink on the En Gedi scroll contains metal, so it glows brightly in a CT scan. The Herculaneum scrolls, however, are carbon-based. Yeah. So they're essentially a mix of charcoal and water to make the ink. So the same density scans that it sits on don't show up as well. So Seals realized, yeah. yeah, that with no difference in brightness, the CT scan might capture tiny differences in texture that can distinguish areas of papyrus coated with ink. To prove it, he trained an artificial network to read letters uh, in X-ray images of open Herculaneum fragments. Then in 2019, he carried uh, two intact scrolls from the Institut de France in Paris to the Diamond Light Source a synchrotron X-ray facility near Oxford, see how extensive this is, to scan them at the <laughs> highest resolution yet. Reading intact scrolls was still a huge risk, however, so the team released all of its scans and codes to the public and launched the Vesuvius Challenge. And he says, <laughs> we all agreed we would rather get to reading what's inside sooner than try to hoard everything for ourselves. Hoard everything. Is, yeah, which is quite Okay, helpful. okay. So this yep. takes us back to Farita who won the 40,000 prize for the set of letters together. He had always been interested in history and he taught himself Latin as a child. So he got involved early on. When the challenge was announced, 1,500 teams were soon established and discussing and collaborating. And guess where they were collaborating, Lido? On Discord. (laughs) So there were all teams using Discord to collaborate together. So Farrah had a go at this. And so SEALs team discovered what they called crackle, right? Now, crackle is more prominent ink that kind of sticks out on the page. And this is what Farrata then started to focus on and started looking for further hints of letters. Now, I love this. Listen to this story. On one evening in August, he was at a party, typical young student, uni student, right? When he received an alert that a fresh segment had been released. So the the team released a segment. He's, oh, got to get onto this. And this one had particularly prominent crackle. So he connected through his phone, ran the remains with his algorithm. So he did it on his phone. Then an hour later, he was walking home. He pulled out his phone and saw five letters on the screen. And he said, I was jumping up and down. Oh my goodness. This is actually going to work. From there, (laughs) it took days for him to refine his model. And then he identified 10 letters required to win the prize. There's a picture of that, the word meaning purple. 
So he found papyrologists were excited too. The word purple has not yet been read in the open Herculaneum scrolls. So only in this rolled up scroll did they find this word to start with. So purple mm. dye, and in fact, Jimmy Akins talked about this several times in other podcasts as well. Purple dye was highly sought after in ancient Rome. It was made from the right. glands of sea snails. So the term could refer to the purple color of robes, the rank of people and who could afford dye, or even the mollusks themselves. But more important than the individual word is the reading of anything at all. The advanced Nicolati says gives us potentially the possibility to recover the text of the whole scroll yes, the title say, yeah. and the author. Yeah. So that the works can be identified and dated. So it finishes with this conclusion. Yanis Assail, a staff research scientist at Google DeepMind in London, describes the Vesuvius challenge as unique and inspirational. It's part mm. of a broader shift, he notes, in which artificial intelligence is increasingly aiding the study of ancient texts. Last year, for example, Assail and Summer Shield, who I mentioned before, released an artificial intelligence tool called Ithaca. And there's a link in this article to uh, more detail about Ithaca. It's designed to help scholars glean the dates and origins of unidentified ancient Greek inscriptions and make suggestions for texts to fill any gaps. It now receives hundreds of queries per week, and similar efforts are being applied to languages from Korean to Akkadian, which was used in ancient Mesopotamia. And Mesopotamia is the cradle of civilization in many ways, right? It was a very oh, okay. advanced, and advanced for its time, ancient civilization. Also very fascinating to read about, I should tell, by the way. Seals, who started this, this Vesuvius challenge, hopes that machine learning will open up what he calls the invisible library. This mm. refers to texts that are physically mm. present but can't be seen by anyone they can't even be because seen. of these charred exactly. rolled up scrolls. Yeah. This includes parchment in medieval bookbinding sets in which later writing is obscured a layer beneath. Cartonage in which scraps of old papyrus were used to make ancient Egyptian mummy cases and masks. So there are all these things that it could be applied to. So it says, for now, all eyes are on the Vesuvius challenge. The deadline for the grand prize is the 31st of December. So this is to be able to translate passages of text, not just a sentence or a couple of words. So Seals describes the mood as unbridled optimism. Farrata for one has already run his models on other segments of the scroll and is seeing many more characters appear. So really fascinating wow. stuff, Lido. What do you think about that? Oh, that is... That is mind blowing. Mm. Again, once again, you know, Roman concrete. Look no, at us like go. Disney. Ancient Rome, huh? I know. It's fascinating. I know. It's a, and it, uh, these are machines that can read scrolls that have been like thousands of years, <laughs> very, yeah. very old scrolls. Thousands of and years. And able yeah. to scan it and through it to see the, yeah. um, the, the writings. I, I just, and then the AI tries to fill in the gaps, right? To fill in, in the, the gaps. Time. Yeah. Yeah, you know that's yeah, could you be know, you, word. exactly. You, you can imagine if you do it, and you write something on a piece of paper, roll that up into you know, as it is, and then yeah. this machine can just go right through. You know, by the naked eye, it's yeah. all jumbled. Yes, yeah, and it's unbelievable. Unbelievable. And reading these ancient scrolls from that time, it'll be it'll open our minds and our thinking of the Roman, and not only Roman. But maybe the civilizations even, too, exactly. Other, Egypt, other civilizations, yeah. yeah. Egypt, medieval exactly. civilization, yeah, yes. Yeah, these, you know, writings, uh, yeah. exactly. You know, yeah. all those traders who went to other countries yeah. and other other parts of the world. Yeah, maybe you know, earlier you know, Bible <laughs> fragments if they're found. That, oh yeah, my goodness yeah. me, yeah. Right. yeah. And I, you, oh yeah, that'd be crazy. That's I'm great. just, yeah, yeah that's just a great. Yeah. That's great. I can't yeah. wait to see it, hear any more of this. Yeah. This would normally be the end of the science segment. However, 
I'm extending it a little bit and we'll, we won't have the entertainment okay. segment today because we have some listener feedback and that's a question. And I want to try and answer <laughs> this question. Again, I, I've, I'm not an expert in the thing, these things. However, this person has taken the time to ask a question and I want to honor it. So I did a bit of research to try and help. So last, okay. last episode when we were talking about the science of AI, again, trying mm, to mm. use evidence to decide if dinosaurs were wiped out by volcanoes by this, or, okay. or if they were wiped out by the asteroid, which one was it? Now, the mm. I think from memory, I think the volcanoes was the deciding factor by the AI, although mm. we, the scientists came to the conclusion that it's what you feed that the AI that will determine mm. if you left out a piece of important information, it, the AI might not be able to come to an accurate conclusion. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, how yeah. reliable is what you... So they were using, I think it was ice cores with air air molecules from earlier times and so on, prehistoric times. Yep. The question was on YouTube and it came from Diego Cervantes who said, would a large asteroid, a large enough asteroid trigger volcanoes and therefore it could be both? I'd never heard of this idea. And I thought that was really amazing. Fascinating. Yeah, so, look, yeah look, absolutely look, it does. Look, so I did a, bit of, did a bit of searching online and there were different websites and I wanted to ensure that I found something that was reputable to answer this question, not just a, here it is, no evidence. Now, we could do a whole science topic on this. I'm only going to do the short version. And, and then Diego and anyone else who's interested, I've put a link to this article, which will provide some insight into the answer to that question. So the question is, could it be possible that the asteroid from Chichilub, the Chichilub impact from 6 million years ago, could that have triggered the volcanoes? In the Deccan traps, which are now, which we uh, call, which we now know as modern day India. We talked about this last episode. Mm-hmm. US and Indian scientists found that the best date for the Chichilub impact is 62 million years ago. And that is within the 50,000 year range of the peak eruption of the Deccan traps. So when the Deccan traps were the most volatile, and we know that these volcanoes went for, for millions of years, as we talked about last mm-hmm. episode. Mm-hmm. So they say, meaning that the impact and the ramp up in volcanism were essentially simultaneous. So the first thing that scientists say is the two things happened around the same time, essentially, that the impacts from Chichilub and the volcanoes were essentially simultaneous going by historical standards. Wow. That's the first thing, right? First bit of evidence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It goes on to say together, these observations of the Earth, so they observed the Earth's crust, all right? So looking at the Earth's crust and taking evidence from there and so on. So observations of the Earth's crust suggest a global pulse of volcanic input at the time of the Cretaceous mass extinction, driven by the shockwave of the Chichilub impact. So Mm. it's entirely possible that the the asteroid asteroid. impacted the Earth. It was a massive impact, causing a shockwave through the Earth's crust and, and triggering or enhancing at least the volcanic activity of the Deccan traps. And we know that the volcanoes caused things like, what is it, oh. increase in greenhouse gases and toxic gases and so gases. on, yes. combined with the work of the asteroid that would have done a really good job in wiping out the dinosaurs. But dinosaurs. It, it yeah. is, it's not impossible to say that, that the volcanic activity was triggered by the by asteroid. The actually. Asteroid. It's entirely possible to believe yes. that's the case. It says here exactly yes. how this yeah. perfect storm of natural disasters, an asteroid collision and increased volcanic activity drove the mass extinction of life on Earth 
is, is unclear. Now, this was written in 2019, so probably it's a little bit clearer now. However, it says, mm. as, as a, the science paper, so this is, I should have mentioned, this is an article from The Conversation, so linked in our show notes, and they're going for a, a paper that was, that was produced. The first author of this um, paper, Courtney Sprain, a former UC Berkeley doctoral student and now at the University of Liverpool, UK, puts it, either the Deccan eruptions did not play a role, which we think is unlikely, or a lot of climate-modifying gases were erupted during the lowest volume pulse of the eruptions. And as I said, that the article is saying that it's entirely possible that those eruptions were triggered by the Chicxulub asteroid. By the, asteroid. So yeah, there you go. That's, that's, that's makes pretty sense. stuff, isn't it? Wow. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 That, that's totally, that totally makes sense. Yeah. yeah. All right. So let's, let's conclude the episode there, Lino. So we want to mm. thank everyone okay. for joining episode 107 of the Catholics of Oz. Before we go, we'd like to take a moment to, take, to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create this podcast. We want to thank Ted H, Nicholas W, Janet K, Nancy, and Jeffrey W. Through their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give, they make it possible for Catholics of Oz and all of the other shows at StarQuest to continue. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. Also keep us in your prayers because your prayers help us to do what we do as we always rely on God to help us with, with the work that we do in advancing StarQuest's mission of, of discussing the intersection of faith and culture. We'd love to know your thoughts on the topics we've just discussed today. You can send us feedback by visiting sqpn.com slash oz, where you can also find the links for today's episode. While you're at the SQPN website, sign up for the club newsletter, the Insiders Club newsletter, sqpn.com slash about slash newsletter. Discuss and ask more questions that we can explore on Discord, sqpn.com slash Discord. And you can find StarQuest on all the different socials, facebook.com slash Media. Twitter or X, I think I meant to say now at sqpn.com. Yeah, I think it's called X, X now. I yeah, think that's, that's yeah, true. That's the true. icon changed on my phone, so I think that's what we meant to do. And also Instagram, Starquest Media. Also, we have a Catholics of Oz Facebook page, facebook.com slash Catholics of Oz. You can join us in discussing our latest episodes, which we would love for you to do. And you can reach us by good old email, the new snail mail, Catholics of Oz, spelled O Z. Yes, new snail mail. Yeah, yeah. Yes, at sqpn.com. <laughs> Lino, thank you so much for being part of episode 107 today. It has been explosive, Lindsay. It oh, has. Everywhere. It's, it's been great. Um, also, that science segment we did, you know, Pope Francis's message about us looking after the earth. Yeah, great. important message to us. Uh, Absolutely. Definitely, 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 definitely. Yeah, so true. And once again, I'm Lindsay Sant. Thank you so much for joining us for what episode 107 of The Catholics of Oz on StarQuest. Here's another show on the StarQuest Network you're sure to enjoy. Let's Science. Find the show wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash science. We'd like to thank Patrick McCaffrey of Moonshadow Studios for editing this episode. To have your audio edited professionally and with care, check out more of Patrick's work at moonshadowstudios.biz. That's moonshadowstudios.biz.